we read a book. We did, but can we pop, put a pin in that and let's talk about something very fun and exciting. <gasps> yeah. Zoom book release party. What's its official name? What's its official name? Faded. Book? I don't know. Faded Mates Live. It's called Live. Bombshell. I, <laughs> shut up, Sarah. I know. <laughs> Stop it. It's a live Faded Mates episode. It is. Which basically kind of like railroaded HarperCollins into letting <laughs> us do this. They were like, what letting. do you want to do for a launch? <laughs> we have some bookstores that want to you know, host it. So that's super exciting. Five romance friendly. Yes. Important note. Yes. Um, independent bookstores are, uh, hosting it. Tell us the names. Do you remember? Um, yes, I do. I can do it. Northshire books in Saratoga, um, East city bookshop in DC, Katie budget books in your in-laws hometown of Katie, Texas. Old Town Books in Alexandria, the host of the Faded Mates annual book box. So thanks, Old Town. And Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego, the West Coast bringing up. Sure, the rear. The West Coast. The best coast. Uh, sure. I don't know. It's pretty great. That's what they say. It seems it seems nice in San Diego, honestly. It's a little too nice. It's like if, one time I was there and I for a book conference and I was with, I think, Susan Elizabeth Phillips. And I was like, San Diego's really nice. And she's like, yes, but it's so nice. It feels like a lot of dentists live here. <laughs> and I, I was mean, like, I get it. Is that a... <laughs> she's like, dentists always live in nice places and they always have boats. My brother Mike's partner's family lives there. And so I have some in-laws in San Diego and I haven't not visited them, but I would like to. I was in Old Town Books in Alexandria just a few weeks ago when I was in D.C. Were you? I Jennifer, was. did and you say hello and introduce yourself? I was awkward and weird about it. Like, I sort I of, I bet like, you were. I was. Did I'm you? sorry. I sidled up to the counter and was kind of like, are you one of the owners? Because I, you know. Yeah. And she was like, no. And I was like, okay, well, I'm Jen. And then you wandered Jen off. Reads romance. And she was like, oh. <laughs> Which was nice. But That is nice. You know. So it was really cool. It was a great shop. They just moved during the pandemic. They moved from a, one shop to another. It's really, really cute in there. So I had a good time. And I bought some books. So these five stores were like, we'd like to host it. And then I said, and then Harper said, who should we invite to be part of it? And I said, oh, let me handle it. Good idea. And then I was like, surprise, Harper. We're doing a live Fate of Mates episode. Jen's going to host it. And here are 10 authors who we really love. <laughs> It's going to be amazing. And I think Harper was a little bit like, well, I guess this is happening then. <laughs> but um, anyway, Avon has been very supportive. And so, the authors are yes. Andy J. Christopher, Kate Claiborne, Sophie Jordan, Christina Lauren, Adriana Herrera, Tracy Livesey, Diana Quincy, Joanna Shoup, Kennedy Ryan, and Alexis Daria. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be Awesome. So time, place. Is it's on-, on Crowdcast, August 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, we will put links in show notes for how to get there, but it's actually bit.ly slash bombshell book. So, you know, you, you can find it there or, or you can find it on our Instagram or on our Twitter or on my Sarah's Instagram and Twitter. Um, it's basically everywhere. It shouldn't be difficult for you to find it, but it will be a full live episode of Faded Mates. The ticket price is a pr- copy of Bombshell, but you also get with it um, event exclusive stickers. Each store has a different cool sticker. And 
I will send faded. How about this? I'll send faded maid stickers to each of the stores too. See, there we'll see you if go. We can get those stuck in too. I'm sure we can. And um, that's that. And if you've ordered from Word, because we've been talking about Word and pre-orders and Theta Mate stickers, don't worry. Check your email next week sometime or in a, you know at some point, and um, you'll get an email from Word with a login login information. You have access to this too. But Perfect. Word is not one of the sponsors for the event. Perfect. So fun. So fun. So it's going to be, if you've been to one of our live episodes before, our 100th episode episode or our... 100th episode episode. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> Whatever. Our 100th episode, or we did a, a Julie Garwood episode right. when we were writing postcards for Faded States. Um, it's really fun. We're going to have a great it's, time. We're going to have a great time. Jen's in charge. Yes. It'll be lots of giggling. I'm excited about it. <laughs> so that's that. That's housekeeping. That is a little housekeeping. So. Uh, by the way, welcome everyone to Faded Mates. Well, I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance reader and critic. And this week, we are doing probably what will be our last read-along of season three. Yes. Right? I think so. Yeah. Except for Bombshell. Except for Bombshell. That would be the official end of season three, which is Unmasked by the Marquis by... Cat Sebastian. Unmasked by the Marquis. Sometimes I think of it as unmasking the Marquis, and that is the opposite of what it is. Right. Unmasked. It is unmasked by the, the Marquis. Yes. This is a terrific. It's great, super, right? I, this I read it for the first time. Yeah. For I haven't read it since it came out. And when it came out, I really loved it. And then, you know, I just haven't reread it. And then we decided to read it this time. And there were a couple things in it that I was like, I forgot how bonkers this book is. It's perfect. It's, it's so good perfect. and bonkers. So it's it was 2017. And if you were not around, this is one a of those full books, millennium ago. I know that made a huge splash. It's one of those books I almost can't believe I didn't read when it came out. Mm-hmm. But you know how it but it was right there on my Kindle. I mean, I bought it. So um, and it was also one of those books that got and I mean, I am not exaggerating, a starred review from every outlet that gives starred reviews. So it was a real juggernaut of a book. And it's also one of those books that sometimes when you go back and read those, you think, could it, you know, is it going to really be that good? And I'm here to tell you the answer, friends, is yes, it is that good. So It really is because it's kind of like the perfect marriage of a modern historical and an old school, like, yes, what is happening? Everything is kind of yes. wacky historical, yes. right? Well, I feel like, you know what? Well, there's there so many, like, personalities and, like, the yes. conflict is so solid and, like, it just, there's, and but then, like, at the end, it's kind of like, and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and it's like, boop, 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 boop. And then I'm like, I forgot that all this happened at the end. It's really terrific. It's really fun. It's a fun book. It is a fun book. And I think that that is, um, Oh boy, it's I you know what it is? It just really feels like when I talk about how reading romance like makes me feel, this is a book that really captures like I would this is probably easily now going to be one of those books where someone's like just recommend a great romance to me. I don't care what it's about, I would easily put this book in into that yes. bucket, right? Yes. It, I feel like it's a real crowd pleaser. Anyone would love to read it. I loved reading it. So um, before we get started, though, I do want to talk a little bit about how we're going to um, tackle. Um, one of our main characters is non-binary. So given the time period in the afterwards, um, Kat Sebastian says that 
she uses she and her to describe a, a this character who was born Charity Church. She was a foundling and and left at a you know a, on the church door, and then she becomes a, a maid for this household, where she becomes um, part of the family, and then. Robbie, who's the son of this family, tells her, you know, I don't want to go to Cambridge. You go as me. And this is when she takes on the persona of what at first is the persona of Robbie Selby, right? She essentially is impersonating this boy she grew up with. But by this time, the book takes place, which is five years later. So she's, what, 25, 24? That persona has really become not a persona. It's become her identity. Yeah. And so, um, in the book, uh, in the book refers to her as she and her, both in her point of view and also in Alistair's, the um, other main character's point of view. But I think what we're going to try and do, because it feels like even in the three or four years since this book has been published, it feels like it's just right to use they, them. Well, and also importantly, more importantly, Kat, in her author's note, says now that um, at the time she chose she, her, because she didn't think that Robin would have a problem with that. Right. Um, but that when she, when Kat writes about or talks about the book, she talks about Robin as Robin and uses they, them. Right. So we're going to do our very best to follow Kat's lead on this. Yeah. Um, with apologies if we slip up. So... Let's get started. Do you want to do a plot overview? Oh, I was like, how could you even? I mean, you kind of, I know there's so much. Um, I think we should at least do the setup because the setup is like a classic historical, like. Oh, absolutely. Oops, we need money. Oops, we need money. Oops, I'm not who you think I am. Like, it's very fun. So, and I, and then I do want to talk about this book as like kind of a masterclass in plotting in like a three act structure. Yes. Anyway, but it's important to start with what this book is about. So, our main characters are Alistair. Yeah, Alistair. I drove... Oh, did you listen to it? I drove to Indianapolis, back and forth to Indianapolis yesterday, and I listened in the car for a good part of it. And was it great? Yeah, it was great. So, Alistair is one of our main characters. He is our Marquis, and he is a... um, Oh, my God. I don't think anyone does Grumpy Sunshine like Cat Sebastian. (laughs) It's her favorite, right? For and you know what? It's my favorite too. Because it's like there's this somebody once said to me, Cat Sebastian is where I go to for the best cat, uh, for the best cap bucky fan fiction. Yeah. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so and I see it. It's right. definitely here. Right. So um he is his father was essentially a spendthrift. He really like depleted the estates and the I don't know, the the family money and name. And part of the reason that this is so painful for Alistair is because his father also had a second family, right? So he had a mistress who he put up in another house. We're going to be talking about mistresses next week with Adriana Herrera, so we might revisit this book for some of that. And this woman had three daughters. And so he, and he's pretty, you know, sort of like, I've finally gotten the estate back to where it needs to be. And we're no longer just like sort of money running through like a sieve. Yeah. And this is really important to him. So Alistair is like a real jerk oh god yes. at the beginning of this book uh-huh. and i had forgotten that too but like there's the first couple chapters you're like this is terrible just terrible well in an audio especially 
I was like, I'm sorry. Well, because he, like, thinks of this mistress as terrible. Yeah. And then he thinks of her children as terrible. Yes. And you're like, I don't like this at all. But it's fine. You guys, spoiler, it's all going to turn out fine. (laughs) He's going to turn out fine. It's going to (laughs) turn out So as soon as he, so his, essentially his father's mistress arrives and says, look, I know you don't want to see me, but my oldest daughter needs to come out. And if you would just arrange for her to go to, like, one luncheon, I'm not asking you to hold a ball, but just, like, one nice thing you could do is, like, pave the way for your sister here, your your father's natural child. And he, of course, is like, man, get out. I'm a terrible person. You know, out with you. And then, literally, the next second, there's a knock on the door, and it's the butler again. There's a person <laughs> at the door, and it is Robert Selby. And this young man has come to claim that his father was the godfather to Robert's younger sister, Amelia. She also wants to come out. And they, of course, scraped up just enough to get to London for the season. But Robert went to Cambridge and was hoping that, like, his kind of friends would be able to introduce Amelia to somebody nice, but it's not working out that way. Could Alistair possibly help them, too? So, this is a classic, like, a really classic setup, right? Like, the Marquis who thinks everyone is out for his money, and then it turns out everyone, in fact, needs favors and whatever from him. But what we figure out really quickly within the next chapter, I think, is Robert goes home to Amelia, and it turns out that Robert is not Robert, but rather they are, they were, again, born charity, and later on in the book, um, Alistair is going to rename Robert Robin. You don't seem like a Robert to me. Robbie's too young. I'm going to call you Robin. And the real Robbie has died, mm-hmm. right? And But Robin knows that if, if sh- they feel this huge amount of responsibility to Amelia. Robbie did not leave money for his sister's dowry like he should have. And importantly, Amelia was basically raised to be a lady. She's not in a position. Everybody's a little concerned that poor Amelia just won't be able to figure herself out, which, you know, it's a little bit nonsensical, but because, but because it's historical, you're like, well, she's very young, right? I mean, she's 16 or 17. So... Isn't that the case? So I also think it's that... Well, there's a sense that if if Amelia had been left to her own, if they had sort of done what they should have done, which is allow Robert to have died... Right. Passed it on to the nearest relative. There was just no... Right. There was no way that Amelia was going to be taken care of. Right. Right. Also, please remember, and this is going to become important when we talk about the third act, but, like, Robert wasn't exactly the best... Of anything. <laughs> the real Robert. Right. The real Robert. As yeah. opposed to Robin. Right. Robin is a different thing. Robin is amazing. And yeah. I love them. So. Right. So here we are. And we have this really interesting arc of Robin as heroic figure, right? Like, yeah. Robin has basically given up all of their life to yes. protecting Amelia mm-hmm. and seeing Amelia into society. And we don't know when it starts really why. It feels a little bit like right. they are, um, they feel beholden to Robert Selby and to yes. kind of protecting Amelia because they were given this opportunity to have a more expansive life. Right. Because Robert essentially traded places 
allowed them to trade places with him. The other thing that I think that this book does so brilliantly is really lay out class differences and just how difficult it would be to be ra- to be in Amelia's case raised in one class and not be able to exist or live in that class. And I think a big part of the reason we see Robin doing what they do is because they understand in a way that Amelia doesn't just what it would mean to have no one and nothing. And they are determined, and in a, I mean, this is probably one of the most good-hearted characters I've ever read in romance. So absolutely giving of themselves. It's what bananas, not, but not in a like. I don't know, like not in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable or that they're no. sacrificing too much. In a way that just genuinely feels like this is a person who just wants to do the right thing. Well, it's chalked up to good writing, Jen. Yes. I mean, Kat yes. essentially set, lays down on this page this world, this worldview that is really wrapped up in sacrifice. And I want to talk about the way sacrifice presents itself on the page in this book because there are a number of places where we see different versions of sacrifice as noble and not noble. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, So we see right from the start, and this sort of ties in with the class question, but right in the very beginning, we see Alistair, the hero, Really terrible. Yes. Being asked to make a sacrifice, right? Like you, your father had these children. Right. He acknowledged other the children, children. Your sisters. Right. He he acknowledged them. They need to come out. Yeah. And so can you please help? Right. And he's like, I'm not no. doing that. That is a sacrifice I am not willing to make. And it's a very small sacrifice, to be right. honest, right? This would be it would literally cost him nothing except his pride. And the whole of society right. knows these kids exist. Right. So it's not like he's, you know, terrified of being... Also, everybody had a mistress. Everybody had sure. bastard children. Right. And then there's Robin's kind of ultimate sacrifice, which is a little of both. He, they sacrificed in order to give Amelia more, mm-hmm. but also gain from it, right? right. There, it's like, it's that moment where you sort of feel like, okay, well, this is a give and take. Right. I think the other thing it's worth saying at this point is that Robin and Amelia have created a bit of a found family for themselves with their two other people who know what is going on, right? Like, know the subterfuge. And I'm putting Mm -hmm. that in air quotes because it's really important to remember that Robin really has a lot of regret about sort of cheating this cousin out of their inheritance, Yes. But zero regret about living in this way. Sure. Because they get something out of it, right? Right. They get the freedom of their identity. Yes, exactly. And I think this is where Kat really does a brilliant job of threading the needle Mm -hmm. because um, she both tells—she tells this story about a non-binary character in a historical world— Right. Where and and when we talk about this in historicals, we've talked about it on the podcast before when writers get together and talk about it in historicals, there is this balance of like what is historically accurate versus what is like modern and what you know how mm-hmm. how the two can coexist. And I think if you are working on a historical and you're trying to figure out how these two can coexist, Kat really does this beautifully because what she does is she the conflict of, you know, everyone knows. I love a book about identity. Right. Robin's identity is 
a huge piece of their conflict over the course of the book and a big piece of the first and second act conflict, right? right. But at no point are they judged for for their identity as a non-binary person, although they don't have that language, right, to use it. Um, And so, but at the same time, the main conflict of the second act or, you know, nearing the second act is Alistair decides, I want to marry this person. Right. And then it's like, well, how does that work? Right. Right. Because Robin is living in men's clothing. Right. At this point. So legally, that's not going to happen. Right. And, you know, Kat does a really beautiful job of stitching it together without using trauma. Right. As a right. as a story as point. an identifier, I think the thing that I think is really important to me. But I also think I I will just say as a reader, when I read the afterward, there's sort of this like, you know, and I, we've talked about this when like black authors write historical romance, right? This feeling that like there are readers out there who are like, I, I have to prove it this. to you. And I was really, I never, I mean. Maybe this, I don't have to say this, but like, this is a terrific romance. I never at any point thought this couldn't happen or this no. didn't feel real. And and I don't know if that would, I don't know if that's dumb to even say, but like, I was, I, I was so surprised to read that at the end because I thought, boy, if you got through all the way to this book and were just like hate reading it, I guess maybe this afterward is for you. But this is a, such a delightful story. Oh, about, it's so good. It's such right? a good, I mean... This is what I said at the beginning. It's there by the time you get to the second, so the end of the second act. So, all right, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but always I want to talk about the first act because, like I said, I I don't know Kat very well at all, but I wonder if she is a plotter because it's such a perfect three act structure, right? The first, the first act, the first 30% of the book, and I checked the percentages because I was like, Oh, here's the twit. Here's the turning point. And I was right. like, we're at exactly 30%. Like, yeah. so well done. Anyway, the first, so, uh, Rob, Robin turns up, tells essentially a lie that in actual fact, Alistair's father was not Amelia's godfather. Right. So there's no real reason Alist- why Alistair needs to help. It's interesting because, let me go back, Alistair then at this point sort of is like, these two people want me to do something I don't want to do. And there's been a kiss. Right. Well, let me back up. Oh, sorry. You're going, you're before that. Yeah. Alistair's like, I'm going to plan a ball and invite these people. And then, you know what? If they all fuck it up, that's on them. And it's not really going to be my problem. But no one will ever ask me Mm -hmm. for help again. But he and Robin become friends. And then we understand that Robin obviously feels attracted to Alistair. And Alistair is bisexual and, again, doesn't have a word for that, but feels attracted to Robin and has, and there's this really great line before we get to the kiss where he says something like, um, and I was listening to the audiobook, so I wasn't able to mark it, but it was something essentially like, you know, he didn't really let himself think about men like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So we know that there must have been a point in his past when he was younger that he did have some sort of love affair or, you know, crush or something on another man. But now that just seems untoward. He kind of can't really 
he's not ashamed of it, but he just feels like, I think at some point he says, it seems like wanton, right? Like, like I should just decide already. And so when they have this kiss, right? He, at this point, and Kat, talk about taking the finger. Their first kiss is when Alistair doesn't know that Robin is, was, you know. Non-binary. Non-binary, right? And I think it's a really interesting scene because Robin is so into it too, but is afraid of what will happen if at that moment it's right. What's clever about it is that Kat twists the power in this moment, Mm -hmm. right? And gives it almost entirely to Robin. Yes. Robin says Um, no. Which is, so obviously, like, when you're writing a historical, the Marquis usually has all the power. Right. 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 And um, in a in an MF historical, in a sort of cis-het historical, the Marquis has all the power. And when you give heroines power, you're giving them subversive power always. Right. So in this, in this book, what Kat's doing is navigating this power, the power of identity, right? So um where Alistair would would ordinarily be the character who has power that kiss is a is a relinquishing his power right Right. because even if robin were born a you know gentry right he's not a he's not lord he's just has money right um even if even if robin were born you know a moneyed sure you know assigned male at birth right right then in that moment um the Marquis would have all the power, and that kiss would be gay and illegal. And Kat acknowledges that, right? And right. she says, like, that's that's something that, like, as a Marquis, you can't just you can't do, do right. without trusting that the person you are with right. is telling you the truth, right? And so he, he releases power to Robin in that moment, and then... When it is revealed later, and first, and also that kiss is awesome. The POV yeah. of it is awesome because it's Robin so is yeah. it's in Robin's POV, and uh, they're like, "I'm not gonna, re- I'm not gonna respond. Like, I'm not gonna, inter- like, I'm just gonna let this happen to me because I feel like I'm betraying Alistair by not telling him the truth about me." Right. But then it happens, and they're like, "This is great. Oh, I want to awesome. do it. I want to do it so much." Right. <laughs> So then, 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 the lie comes up. Right. And Alistair discovers, like, it's impossible my father could not have possibly been the godfather of this woman, this girl. Amelia. Right. Right? And so he calls Robin to him, and it's basically like, you lied to me. I've got to tell you, this scene plays out, I mean, one of the things I like best in a romance is being surprised. Right? Yeah. So one of the things that I think I'm sort of now, this is a tricky thing. I would not call this a book that's, even though there's, like, lies based on the book, these things, at this point, Robin's identity really is, like, I don't want to be a woman. This identity, when I'm out in the world as Robert Selby, I like how this feels. This feels like me. Right. So I'm kind of like, how are you going to, like, reveal this without setting up this person's identity as a lie? As a lie. Because yes. it's not. It's not. As the reader, I'm, like, kind of like, how are you going to 
how is this going to turn out? Because here yeah. we are at 30%. And if Alistair says, like, you lied to me about your identity, how do you come back from that? Also, right? yeah, like, Alistair is on thin ice. Yes. Right? Like, right. Alistair's one step from cold storage at this point. Yes. Right? Like, and we, we're charmed by him now. Like, and he's oh turning goodness. into a nice enough guy. But, yes. like, we still remember when he hated his stepsisters or half-sisters. Sure. And so, yeah. So I'm kind of like, you could really screw this up in a way that it feels irreparable to me right. at this point. And instead... Instead, what Robin does is say, how could I possibly blackmail you? As it turns out, I am not Robert Selby. I was born Charity Church. It, like, just, they get I, it's like a Scooby-Doo moment. It's like, I'm, he like, you know, right? they, they pull off the mask. And they reveal it all because, and this is so, the idea of hurting Alistair is so painful that they give up the entire gambit essentially right with amelia and the purpose and what they're trying to do and and i really was okay i feel bad because it's a painful moment in the text but i was delighted by it as a reader yeah 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 yeah. it then opens up the whole can like everything's so good because whenever readers are like everything will be solved by a conversation right (laughs) yes here's a perfect example yes the original concern yes. in that he can't, you know, he can't go to jail is solved. Right. But it's complicated by this right. conversation. And what's amazing is in the moment, Alistair's response is, how could you possibly think yeah. that discovering this lie about your identity would make me feel better? He's saying... Why didn't you trust me enough to tell me the truth about you? Right. And this is this moment where I, as the reader, was like, they're like a perfect match, right? Yeah. Of all the things that Alistair is judgmental about, this is not one of them. No. Right? This is not one of them. And he, and, you know, he basically is like, I'm attracted to you for you, and this attraction, I feel, is driven by, like, the person you are and your champagne cork of a laugh and how I feel when I'm with oh, you, I right? Know, it's so romantic. It is. I mean, I've read a lot of romances. I feel like, oh, okay, I get how a plot like this, where somebody's hiding something from someone else, gets revealed at some later part. But instead, you know, you blow the doors off of that at 30%. And now, now like, everything okay, has to shift. Well, now and he's everything has to shift. Now, right. to be fair, he's furious at this oh, point because completely. he's like everything you've ever said to me is a lie, right? Or is like a falsehood. Like I thought we were in a position where we were friends. Yes, one and friends. This issue of friends comes yes. up over and over and over again. The word is in the text so much. Yes, and he's like, I thought we were friends. I thought we trusted each other. Clearly, we don't. You've lied to me about multiple things yes. along the way. And I might have, we are not done with Robin's lies. There is right. another big one that's coming. Right. And the and he's pissed. Alistair's yeah. pissed. And he's like, you need to leave. Right. And that's the end of Act One. Yep. Yeah. And so you're like, well, that's the whole ball game, right? Like, I will admit I'm, to you. As a reader, I'm done. Like, that's all I could imagine there being. Well, and I was listening to the book. I don't know if I told you this. And I was like, okay, so I guess the book must be over soon. And I was like, wait. No, it's like Lord chapters. of Scoundrels. It's yes. like Lord of Scoundrels, right? Right. It has this, like, sense of, like, well, now this piece is done. And now we see how this com- the the misunderstanding plus the conversation has just 
fucked shit up, right? Yes. Right. And then comes my favorite part of this whole book, which is revenge was best left to the cuckolded. <laughs> I was like, I like revenge like horticulture is beneath me. Yes. So the part, the full line is, Revenge was best left to cuckolded farmhands and medieval popes, jealous fishwives, and mad plantagenets. <laughs> like, the fact that Alistair, but Alistair is sitting in his house festering, right? Yes. Right. He is trying to figure out how he can just, like, wreck this person who has made him feel feelings. Yes, God forbid. And I think the thing, though, is this is where first act, act Alistair then kind of comes in to save him and us, right? Yeah. He is horrified of being embarrassed or airing out his dirty laundry or whatever. And so he kind of realizes that if he is to make a big example, a big public to-do about what Robin and Amelia have done, he, like, the the horror of everybody knowing his business is far worse than the business itself, right? So mm-hmm. he just decides to sort of like, I'm going to just kind of plod along and we're going to have the ball and I'm not going to really get involved in this. But his brother Gilbert. Oh, Gilbert. Right? We need you then tummy. some sort of catalyst. <laughs> Turns out, of course, we all know immediately a secret love with Amelia. I love how like Robin and Alistair are so blind and they're so in their own feelings about each other that neither of them notice that Gilbert and Amelia are clearly up to something. And Gilbert goes to Robin and says, you know, I don't know what happened between you and my brother. He is a total asshole. So just know, <laughs> just know that I'm sure yes. if you went to him, you know, he would probably, like, you know, I'm sorry he was such a jerk. And Robin was like, no, you know, Robin says, it was my fault, actually. I'm the one who screwed up. Kind of, but not really, Robin. But this is one of those moments, right? It's this sacrifice. I keep coming back to this, there's this, like, magnificent representation of how marginalized people are asked to take on, mm. like, all these burdens, yeah. right? Like, anytime anything goes wrong, it's, like, the the fault of women or marginalized people yeah. emotionally, like, and I think that that is really beautifully done here because it's not, it's not heavy. The weight of this... As a reader, it doesn't feel heavy, but it does feel like Kat's always just sort of pointing out that, like, yeah, Robin is making sacrifices. They are always the one who is making the sacrifice. Right. Until the end of Act 2. Right. So, so, I mean, it's really, Kat is masterful. This book is masterful. Yeah. Well, they get back together. They have some really great sex. sex. Oh, God, yes. I was like, oh, mm, mm. truly terrific sex. For as locked down as Alistair is, woof. Uh, he really knows what he's doing in the bedroom. Yes, he does. And I would also say it's really interesting for Robin, who we at this point sort of find out has actually was Robbie's lover. They'd missed they'd miss having sex. It was, you know, how are you going to navigate that? And so it's also this ability, like, here they are. They can really, like, literally be, like, naked and real with each other. Oh, it's so good. It's so sexy. It's so hot. And, you know, and then Alistair is like, well, I've got a solution to our problem, which is we'll get married. And Yeah, become, 60% of the way through the book. Right. And you'll become the Marchioness. <laughs> what's it called? I'm like, I don't even know. The Marchioness. Right. Um, 
Yeah, he says, like, he's like, basically, he's like, I've defiled you. <laughs> and they're, I mean, what a dummy. What a dummy. I know. He's, I mean, I have to be honest. I really love a historical hero who's like, I've defiled you and therefore we must marry. Because they're always real dumb. Um, this is one of my favorite scenes. In this and book, he says, marry yeah. me, Robin. <laughs> shifts and the next line of the book is she must have misunderstood and then robin says excuse me yeah and literally they've just had an orgasm right and then they're like uh hang on a real second so here we are end of act two right like but wait can everything's getting complicated go ahead right so you know he was an idiot Right, they're in love with an absolute fool. How dare you? How dare you fuck me against the wall and then treat me like a damsel in need yes! of respectability? Look, I, I highlighted it too. Of course, because it's so, <laughs> so good. Perfect. This is one of my other favorite things in a book, and this is so brilliant, is when we as the reader also, and you know, I'm a cishet lady, right? I was kind of like, okay, sure, of course, at some point, I guess marriage is going to fix this. I mean, you know, Alistair, you're kind of fucking this up, but, you know, it, but this is a real moment where we get Robin's, like, and and what they say is, like, I haven't worn a gown since Robbie died, and I don't want to. Listen, but this is where they give up sacrifice. Yes. Right? Yes. This is what I'm talking about. This is why Cat Sebastian is so good at this job. So good. Yes. Because for two thirds, and it is almost exactly two thirds mm-hmm. of this book, Robin makes sacrifices right. and takes on emotional burdens that are not theirs. Right. To burden. Yes. To hold. To carry. Right. Sorry. I don't know I what know. I'm saying. Right. But when this happens, and they play out the reality, which is yes. it is 18, whatever. And, and there is no possible way for a Marquis to publicly marry right. someone who wants to live their identity, not just as Robin, but as a name that is not theirs, right? right. Like, right. He, there are all sorts of his, like, there are all sorts of issues here, right? Which are like, when a Marcus gets married, there has to be like a church registry. And right. later, this gets brought up and sort of deftly solved. Right. But Robin discovers in that moment that in order to have Alistair, God, this conflict is so good. In order to have the thing they want most in the world, i.e., Alistair, they must give up the thing that is fully, that makes them who they are, right? Is, Their identity. Right. Right. Robin and- has to die. In order for Robin to have Alistair. Right. And but and, and this is the part that's so brilliant about this scene, right? They're really able to verbalize, like, and it's at this point, right? Um, and I'm gonna say they, the text says she, right? They didn't think they could under um explain the utter impossibility of living as a woman. They could hardly articulate it to themselves. Right? And that's the part, too, where it's like we really get, like, this is not them being stubborn, right? This is, I cannot live this way. I you are asking too much yes. of me. Right. I, it, it would destroy me, literally. And I think, here, listen, this is what makes this book one of, I think, the best modern romances. Because this moment uh, where 
one main character says to the other, right. I am through sacrificing myself for what other people want. Right. I am who I am. And that could be any number of things sure. in any number of books. And therefore, and I have to be true to that first. Yes. Because you won't love me if that's not right who I am. And I think that moment, a sort of concrete moment where a main character says that in the text to a love interest, to a possible partner, mm-hmm. is so important. And that is a hallmark of a modern novel, yeah. a modern romance. I you agree. didn't see that right. in, like, early texts. Right. And that's the thing, I think, in a later scene. And I, you know, I highlighted a lot in this book. I thought, I just thought, like, the, it's so important, right? The way that... It's such a good book. ...that Robin is able to, like name what they need and also like name the ways in which again this is where like issues of class come up there's really interesting things in here where um they 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 think about like alistair shame right and Mm -hmm. robin's like shame is for rich people Mm -hmm. right i'm i can't live like that and then later on says um, they say to Alistair, did it occur to you even once that your notions of respectability and justice don't mean a thing to me? Those ideas have never done me any good, so why should I care? Can you even contemplate what it's like to be a person your rules work against? And this, it's, I just have, I feel like uh, any book where a main character gets to, like, really speak their truth so powerfully and be heard. That's mm-hmm. romance. That's romance. Yes. Yes. Right? And that's where we start to, we've started to, we've seen Alistair kind of unravel and crack mm-hmm. over the course of the second act of this book. He's no longer the jerk he was at the right. beginning. And so we're seeing him warm up. But then in the third act, he really has to reconcile, the. F- he has to reconcile himself with what he wants. Right. And what he is asking from Robin versus what he should want Robin to right. have, right. right? There's a, this is where these two are figuring out how to be partners, how yeah. to, com- there's like, there's, I mean, it's all identity at this point. Sure. And with identity in this case comes power. Right? Yeah. Because I mean, yes. Always. Right. And so, and by the way, in the in the third act, I mean the second act is in some ways, I mean, you know, it's just awesome. They're they're friends and they're lovers and it's hot and they're like, you know, there's sort of this sense of okay, like you know, the chemistry is unre- is unreal and they're like, okay, we're going to figure this out. But the other like but in the third act, right, the plot comes roaring back because uh, right? and, and it's it comes roaring back like an old school romance. Yes, right? Suddenly Everything's going wrong. Right? Because, oh, guess what? The cousin who should have inherited when Robbie died is suspicious. <laughs> and we're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> right? Um, Amelia and Gilbert. Gilbert, Gavin, whatever his name is, right? Are like, they, they <laughs> these two dummies can't get themselves to Gretna Green. Well, despite trying multiple times. <laughs> because they are convinced. I mean, this is the other great thing. Because of the, like, sort of... And this feels almost madcap, right? Like, 
Everyone's talking about these, like, the wedding and the proposal and who turned down who. And, again, Robin and Alistair are like, people know what happened between us. And instead, uh, Amelia (laughs) is afraid that Alistair is trying to marry her, right? Amazing. It is. It's And also, there's, like, a rainstorm in this where Alistair gets to go where... Robin get rides out into a storm and oh, is in God, danger, yeah. and then Alistair has to ride out after them to find them, and then he turns up in the doorway of an inn. It's an inn, right? And sure. he's dripping wet and full of rage. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yes, put it in my veins. Oh, completely, <laughs> right? So they're off to, like, stop. So Amelia and Gilbert, they're, like, going to try. And essentially, it's really interesting. They're like, I have, uh, I mean, Robin's like, I have to let Amelia know I approve of this match. So, you know, Amelia is like, you know, Robin's like, I can't let Amelia think I don't approve. I have to take off after them. And, you know, Alistair's like, I'm coming after you guys, too. (laughs) It really is fabulous. Like, it's just a constant madcap, like, journey. Yeah. Then the maybe biggest lie. Yes. Comes to be revealed, which is that Robin back in the day, was married to to Robbie. Yeah. And it comes to pass because the solicitor turns up. Yes. And is like, listen, you can do whatever you want, and you can marry some church mouse. That's fine. But bigamy is a problem. You're like, what? (laughs) And I'm like, this is the greatest book that was ever written. Honestly. So... But then in this, per- again, in this, like, perfect Cat Sebastian moment, Alistair is not, like, mad. Right. He's like, this poor, my poor love. Yes. Right? Right. Who has really been through, been through it. it. And it turns out that Robin was married yeah. to uh, Robert. And that if Robin had at the time allowed Robert to be declared dead, right. they would have received a thousand pounds, which would have been a lot of money yeah. for a kid who, because they were kind of a kid then, right. a nothing. kid yeah. who had been left in the doorway of a church, right. right? But instead of doing that, Robin decided that they were going to stay true to Amelia yeah. and help her right. and be her sibling right and it's powerful and it speaks to this found family thing and it's understandable and it's again one of these moments where you see robin as sacrifice yeah but again as a foil to in that case robin was Robin was sacrificing for something that they loved and for a future that they believed they would they that would make them happy, right? right? Or give right. them ple- give them hope and happiness and joy. And instead of sacrificing, you know, identity. And they essentially like nurtured and cared for Amelia since Amelia was a baby. I mean, this relationship between them is so these ties are so strong. Yes. And so it's inconceivable that Robin would sort of abandon Amelia with nothing. And so they kind of hatched this plan together. And it's always been like, we're going to fix it with cousin Clifford or whatever the heck his name is. Um, yeah. Right. 
once we get Amelia married, like, we'll we'll be able to do this. And, of course, Clifford is, like, you know, steps in just that moment. And, you know, uh-huh. it's... And, and I honestly think it's hard for Robin to kill off, right, Robert Selby. But that always had to happen. It always right. had to happen. And I ended up really liking, like, you know, then it's it's kind of like, well, what are they going to do? Are they going to disappear, go on a boat to America? You know, Alistair kind of sees in the paper mm-hmm. that there's been a boating accident and Robert Selby died. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to find Robin. Right? It's this terrible moment. And then Robin actually sort of has this, like, moment of clarity where they're like, look, this very rich, powerful man loves me. I yeah. bet I bet his money and power can be used to yeah. make this fucking work. I mean, I got to say, that right. is probably right. the greatest joy of writing a historical. Yeah. Is like, oh, they have a title. Well, you can wave a lot away with a title, yeah. right? And at one point, Robin says, you know, you'll be married and everyone will say your wife runs around in men's clothing and you'll have to bear the scandal. Yeah. And Alice just like, I'll bear it with pleasure. Like, yeah. I get to be with the person I, I love. To, right. And I also just want to say there's that moment where he goes, when he goes back and he sees Robin dressed in women's clothing. Right. And they're so uncomfortable. Yeah. And in that moment, you're sort of led to believe that this, you know, his realization that Robin was is uncomfortable in this, this vessel is, right. um, you know, his his moment of clarity. And then when he leaves, there's a gift yeah. for Robin and it's men's clothing. Yeah. Um, and with a note that says just in case. Yeah. You know, oh, so and so it's again, it's like yeah. find somebody in life who sees you and loves you and wants you for you. Right. Right? Right. Oh, and then there's a part at the end where like Robin finds like dusty old clothes at the and comes down. And you can tell that Alistair's super into it. It's like you look like a Corsair. <laughs> right. It's hot. Like these two are gonna have a great, super fun mm-hmm. sex for the rest of their lives, and I'm for mm-hmm. it. But I think that, you know, for me, reading this book was, oh, my God. Like, there's a lot of talk about plotting and, you know, the third act breakup. And, right, this book's plotting is meticulous. It's so tight. It's so good. And it's so good in part because it feels like a classic, I mean, I, I can't describe it any other way. Like, it feels like a classic old school romance just, like, pulled through through yes. to 2017. And it's like Kat sat down and she took all the best things yeah. out of those old books and left all the garbage. Right. And then There's, was like, I'm going to renovate yeah. these characters. Right. I think I read a really... I. I was really curious. This book was such a big deal when it came out. So I was really curious if there were, like, interviews where Kat talked about the book or or her work. And one of the things that was a great interview in Jezebel, I'll put it in show notes, where um, it's, like, interview style. So it's, like, question and answer. And the question was sort of, like, do you think Regencies are inherently conservative? And mm-hmm. there's this great answer where Kat says, you know, I think there is something, like, small, small C conservative about it, right? And... And what she says is, is, you know, 
romance novels, whether they're historical or contemporary or even paranormal, reaffirm the social structure where people pair up and form ties within a pre-existing community and often have children, right? And that that sense, is, like romance novels are showing you the building blocks of society. And that that is small C conservative, right? Mm-hmm. Of course there are, are exceptions, mm-hmm. but you know, you're built, she says you're building within that structure. And I think that's why this book really does like harken back to like, Kind of those old school, like this is a this is a a book that's fundamentally about how wonderful it is to find people you love and form connections and families with them and like make mm-hmm. sacrifices for them because it makes you feel good to make the people you love happy. That is a real pleasure. That is like the ultimate pleasure for, I mean, I'm not famous. I'm not rich. What I have is my family and my friends. And this is a book that really, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's delightful. I loved it. I told you you would. You told me. It's a great book. It's a great book. This is one of those books where I'm effing horrified that I didn't read it back when it was so popular and everyone was reading it. And I put it on my Kindle and just never got around to it. Horrified. Well, now you've rectified the problem. I have. What a delight. And here you are. And now you have it, and you can recommend it to a thousand people. I would also say this book is genuinely funny. Like, yes. there are times I laughed out Hilarious. loud. Uh, Alistair at the end gets a cat, and he, like, sort of has, like, an evil moment where he's, like, Perfect. sitting with the cat. <laughs> so, I mean, yes. it's just really terrific in a way that is... Yes. This is what I want in a romance, right? It's real, but it was so fun to read. Um, We should say Kat has a new book out that uh, came out two months ago. The Queer Principles of Kit Webb, um, which is a high women romance. I mean, hello. I mean, again, (laughs) perfect for our... For those of us who grew up on high women women romances. Um, And generally, Kat is great. This book is great. We love it. A plus. A plus. A plus. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Next week, we'll be talking about, we'll have an interstitial. I don't know. A couple other things. Sooner or later, we're going to, last episode of season three. Yeah, we're coming up on the end of season three. A couple more weeks. Um, So we have a few things in store. Then we'll do a bombshell episode. Um, Uh... I we're gonna do what we did last year and release the first two chapters of the audiobook. Did you listen to them yet, John? I haven't yet because I was listening to this. Mary wow. Jane Wells. See, my audio narrator has switched to Mary Jane Wells for those of you who are um, romance readers in audio because Jen told me to pick her. <laughs> I was like, so, Mary Jane Wells. Um, yes. And then I listened to the first. I've never listened to a full. To, I've never listened to any part of my my uh, audiobooks before. And I listened to the prologue and I was like, oh, she's good. So we'll release that too before Bombshell comes out. And then we'll do a Bombshell episode. And then it's season four. And we've got some plans. We sure do. Season We're pretty four excited. Be... Get ready. I feel like our focus is back. Our focus is back. I do want to do a quick Ted Lasso check-in. The first episode of season two is great. It was great. There is a Roy Kent moment that is many Roy Kent absolute chef's kiss, though, with Rebecca. And I'm for it. I'm for it. For it. So fun. So far, Roy Kent check-in. We're on. We're fine with it. Everything's going great (laughs) for us. Tara, our listener, who her husband is Dewey, has 
um, he had screeners for like the first eight episodes and she's seen a bunch of it. And I was like, I'm not at all jealous. She says, we feel fine. We're going to keep feeling fine. And I believe Tara, she would never steer us wrong. She would not. (laughs) She would not. Anyway. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been Faded Mates. I am Sarah. My friend here is Jen. <laughs> you can find us at FadedMates.net, on Twitter at FadedMates, on Instagram at FadedMatesPod. Once again, join us for a live Faded Mates episode on August 24th. Links are in show notes and on all of our social media. Uh, go to the website, FadedMates.net, to find merch from best friend Kelly and from Jordan Denae. And I think that's it. Is that it? That's it. Do we have other stuff? I don't have anything else. We hope you're reading great books this week. 